Happy Friday afternoon, everyone. I'm Zach Keeney, joined by Matthew Fish, and we welcome you all to another Fort Mesa Cyber Roundtable. If you haven't already, make sure you check out last week's webinar on YouTube. We had Amy Babinchak on from Third Tier to have a discussion about Zero Trust using Azure AD and Intune. And we covered CIS version 8, Control 3, Data Protection. If you're new to the roundtable this week, make sure to check out our educational video library on YouTube and please like us on LinkedIn. Today we have Daniel Welling from the MSP Finance Group to, dis to discuss key performance indicators for a growing MSP. We'll do full introductions in a moment, but first, how's everybody doing today? <laughs> I, I'm appreciating my misprint shirt here. Um, so I don't know if you guys can tell my logo is a little slightly different color than, than Zach's, Zach's shirt here, but we're all in black today. So at least we got that going for us. David's big, on black team black too. So big coordination was done. <laughs> I got, I got the memo, but, uh, but a different logos. <laughs> well, he's got a collection of black t-shirts on the wall back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about those. That's interesting for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, to my uh, left uh, uh, left shoulder, we have uh, a, a now defunct uh, uh, rugby team, uh, uh, London Wasps, and uh, and to my right we have um, uh, a Williams F1 uh, team T-shirt, um, signed by uh, Damon Hill, former F1 world champion. Okay. Is that is that him in the tiny photo that I can't see from all the way? Uh over here. Absolutely. And and that's him with his his best mate, Daniel Welling, who he who he met for about 20 seconds having the photo taken. We all queued up um, at this. Uh, it was a, a sporting uh, lunch uh, and he was the he was the the, uh, the, the the guest speaker and we all queued up before the lunch um, and they're saying to us, he doesn't want to know your name, anything about you. He just, <laughs> just look at the camera, smile, and move on. <laughs> they want to move quick, huh? Yeah. That's, that's funny. Well, Daniel, where are, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Where, where, are you, uh, where are you joining us from? Where are you located? Uh, so I'm uh, just to the west of uh, London uh, um, in the UK. Um, it's actually uh, just gone half seven in the evening here on a Friday night. So there, bring, there's a bringing the party to us, I guess. Well, there's a, there's a beer in the fridge uh, chilling at the moment. So uh, at, at eight eight thirty one, uh, we'll be uh, <laughs> there. You go. We'll be cracking that open. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would have turned a turned a side eye to you if you had a had a sip or two. We'd have, we'd have seen that. Yeah. I I, uh, I thought about it. I was worried it might be morning there, and I might. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, to our virtual guests, please feel free to let uh, let us know where you guys are joining us from in the comments section. And uh, before we dive into to introductions, any any plans or anything else you guys want to cover before we before we jump in? Uh, no, you know, so I I spent early in my career, I spent some time in business intelligence um, and learning about metrics design. Um, learning about, you know, how to build up a, um, a performance indicator. But uh, it's been a long time since I, I dove into that world. So um, I'm actually um, very interested, uh, Daniel, the, the types of measures that you're, you're looking at um, for how to evaluate a business. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm aware, you know, when people are, you know, an MSP is growing at some point, they say to themselves, I feel pretty good. And maybe I want to do something different and they want to capitalize or they want to, they want to exit from their business. These measures become pretty important. Right. And I know that I've been pushing people towards, you know, recurring revenue. Um, you should think about security, mixing your products. You could think of, think about your gross margins, but, but, um, I, I am not actually informed enough to be telling them what their actual indicators should be. Um, so I am, I am interested in that, but before we dig in there, um, I think we gotta, we gotta do control of the day, right? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So today is CIS controls version eight, control 16, application software security, um, this one is super interesting um, because it's 
maybe the only, if not the only one of the only controls in in CIS where uh, this is not recommended for small businesses. Um, yeah, I was going to say right away, Matt, I noticed nothing in IG1 there. No doubt. Nothing in no IG1. So as a reminder, IG1 is for small businesses that are probably running off-the-shelf software. They probably have no regulatory um, requirements. They probably are not impacting human safety. You know, they're just using basic computers and basic security is enough for them. But IG2, um, a lot of times there's custom software. Um, with custom software is the need for custom security for custom software, thus application software security. Um, so, and, you know, there, this, this control is a long one. It's split into uh, 14 pieces, and almost all of them are recommended for anyone that has any piece of custom software in their business. Um, anyone who's running software that didn't come off the shelf, um, wasn't shrink-wrapped, should have this security. As well as that, anyone with a, with a full IT department where they're managing their own systems, um, if you have your own IT staff, you should you should have this security because you probably have business applications you need to protect. Um, yeah, stupid go ahead. Zach. Qu- stupid question for you, but how do I know if I have custom software? Because I've owned okay. a business and I didn't know. Okay, so uh, I I know a little bit of the backstory with your business. So um, if you have a business and you're using what we what we refer to in industry as shrink wrap software only, so that's you're using Google products. You're using Microsoft products, but you don't have a piece of software that's built for your industry. You don't have a piece of software that has your company logo on it, right? You're pro- you probably are not using custom software, which means that the application software vendor is responsible for that application software security. But if you're running a piece of software that has your company name in it or is very specific to your industry, um, or if you think that the, the vendor that created software for you maybe isn't doing their part for security, you want to do your own application software security um, controls. And I'm just going to run through this super quick, as quick as I can through a 14-point security plan. What does it mean to, to do security for a custom piece of software? Um, the, the first thing is um, here in, on, in 16.1 is to have a some type of process for developing a secure application. This probably means that you sat down as a team and discussed the things that you're going to do and the things that you're not going to do um, to create secure software and maintain secure software. It's probably the list of things we're about to go through, but it may contain other things. So that's the plan piece, and that should always be first. Um, part of that plan and part of your processes on a regular basis should be to address software vulnerabilities. Um, now, it says here, accept and address. So it's actually reasonable for you not to fix a software vulnerability as long as you understand you have the vulnerability and your business owners or your customers know about it. Um, so, you know, it's not possible to fix every vulnerability. And some of these, some of these vulnerabilities are things you just need to accept because you're creating software and software is not perfect. Um, but you know, the, the, yeah, go ahead. There's a little bit of a Michael Scott, I declare situation here. What does it mean when you say to accept? Uh, because it's obviously not enough for, for Daniel or myself to just say, okay, I accept it, right? That's not what you mean. What do you mean by accept? So there's many different ways of managing risk. I'm not going to go through all the methods of risk management, but when you're looking at vulnerabilities, there's a few things you can you can do. You can either ignore them, which means you're not even informing yourself on them, right? You're just avoiding the problem. Um, in 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 no scenario is that acceptable from a from a security policy perspective. Um, if you're going to be accepting the risk of something, you need to do at least enough research to know, to understand the risk you're accepting. So if you do research into a vulnerability and you and you understand, well, theoretically, this thing could happen. This is how it would happen. This is who might do it. This is the impact that would happen. And this is the likelihood that that will happen. If you've sort of had that conversation about a, about a, a risk, then it's reasonable to say, I accept this vulnerability. And and by I accept, it's not just, okay, let's forget about this and move on. It's let's document, you know, John Smith or Michael Scott, right? I accept this responsibility. And if a breach happens, Michael Scott can then say, well, yeah, I know we, we accepted that and we thought it was defensible because of this reason. And um, if it was a, if it was a reasonable reason, um, you will pass the reasonable person test in any 
court of law or arbitration procedure proceeding and you'll be fine. Um, if you couldn't with a straight face say that was a reasonable decision I made, right, that that was the right thing to do, um, you will probably be held to account. Um, so that's what that's what accepting means. Um, the other thing you can do is address them, which means that you do you either compensate for them or you eliminate them. Right. There's there's ways of eliminating. And there's a few different types of vulnerabilities, but we'll get into more detail there. Um, so root cause analysis on security vulnerabilities. So if you found a vulnerability in your software, understand why does this vulnerability exist? And is this something that we could fix from a root cause perspective um, so that it doesn't happen again? Or maybe there's 10 other vulnerabilities that are related that all have the same root cause, right? Um, making sure that you you do that kind of analysis. Um, making sure that you inventory your third-party software components. So if anyone that's listening has ever built a piece of software, they probably know that no one builds software whole cloth from scratch. Everyone relies on the software that was built before us, the decades of software that was built before us. We have code that we can recycle, whether that's open source or whether we've, we've purchased that source code we purchased purchased a commercial application that we're bringing into our supply chain. Every piece of software is built on other pieces of software, and you do need to do some limited limited analysis of those other pieces of software and chain. Um, luckily, there's great tools to do this. Um, Sneak's our, our our strategic partner in this area, Sneak.io, S N Y K. Um, there are other vendors like Viracode that also specialize in this. Um, there's a number of ways of um, relying on third party security. Um, companies who've already done analysis on every piece of third-party code you could possibly imagine. Um, and you can just simply import their findings um, based on what you're using in your software. Um, you also need to, um, and, and this is sort of related, uh, we're not just creating a list of those things, but we're making sure that the list is up to date. We're making sure that the items are up to date. So if we're relying on a piece of code, making sure that it's not 12 years old, making sure that it's updated, making sure that someone's in charge of that piece of software, um, that we can trust that person, right? This wasn't like some random Joe in their basement that we don't even know who they are. Um, this is like a, a company, you know, a reliable company, um, or it's a tool that hundreds of thousands of people are using. And so there's a reasonable assurance that it's a safe thing to use, right? Um, in addition to that, you know, when you go through this process, you are probably going to find hundreds, if not thousands of vulnerabilities in your software that you built. So you do need a system to rate them, right? Uh, because you're you're likely not going to fix everything. And so you do need to focus on the things that are the highest risk. Um, so that's 16.6. Um, standard hardening configuration templates. Um, this is the same type of thing that as a server administrator, you do on your servers. You, you know, in Active Directory, Azure AD, maybe in your RMM, you do things like, oh, make sure the screen locks, right? Make sure that the disk is encrypted. Well, we want to look at things on your application server infrastructure and say, well, make sure TLS is enabled, right? Make sure that the security features of the software tools that your software is incorporating are turned on and configured securely. Um, and making sure that they're standardized and they're always deployed in the same way, right? And if someone changes those configurations, making sure that we have some way of going back to that hardened template. Um, closing in on the second half of the list here, separating production and non-production systems. Um, I know um, for a lot of organizations, they have development systems, they have test systems, and they have production systems. Um, some people have even more stages than that. We have in our, in our dev environments, we have five or six distinct stages that code has to go through to make it to production. Um, and each of those have different tests that are done along that testing pipeline. Um, for organizations that um, maybe don't have that maturity level, it's not uncommon to mix and match production and test or to have developers developing code directly in production to fix things quickly. Um, and while it may save time, um, and it may be easy to, to get that kind of infrastructure up and going. If you don't have a regimented, this is development, this is testing, this is production, and you are really separating production from development, it's really difficult to have any kind of surety in your production systems. Developers shouldn't even have access to production. Um, if your team's large enough to have a separate development team than, than a production engineering team, you'd want to have that division. 
Um, and, you know, in today's world, a lot of people outsource their development offshore, right? If you're doing business with uh, financial services, if you're doing business in, um, um, in federal contract spaces, there's actually laws against um, certain types of people having access to those systems. And so separating those production and non-production systems is a critical concept there. And then um, train your developers, make sure they're trained in uh, security concepts. So we're talking about things like um, OWASP Top 10. Um, OWASP is an organization that maintains um, tip sheets on the type of weaknesses that developers should be trained in avoiding, as well as the types of security that should be in place when they're building applications. Um, but there's, there's other design principles there. Um, I would say it's a requirement that any developers working for you should be forced to go through some kind of training on that. Um, design principles in application architecture. So um, this, this is similar to the production versus non-production, but um, think about a, an application that may separate the front end from the back end from a database, right? A standard, um, our, our software and our company is, is what you call a CRUD application. It uh, creates, reads, updates, or deletes from a database. Um, and the, the front end is responsible for visually presenting that data to, to the, the, um, the end user. But we make sure that any security constraints are actually built into the middleware. They're on the server. They don't exist in the web browser because anyone can um, do anything to their web browser. You know, any of your users can change the way their web browser performs and you wouldn't want them to break into your database just because someone put the security in the wrong place in the, uh, the application architecture. And that's what they're talking about here. Um, and then the, the, the last thing that's sort of mandatory for application security is using vetted modules for security components. Um, so as an example here, if you're using encryption, you probably shouldn't invent the encryption yourself, even if you theoretically are really good at math, right? It makes much more sense to take the encryption module, the piece of security from some organization that's specialized in that and forklift the whole piece of code um, so that you know that you're using a secure module there. Another really good example of this is authentication. It's best, best practice these days, believe it or not, as a software developer, not to run your own authentication system. We don't run our own authentication system. We rely on a, a, a framework from a company called Auth0. Um, they're owned by Okta. And they're responsible for our user authentication. And there's nothing that our programmers can do wrong that would damage the user authentication because we're relying on that trusted vetted module for that. Um, so real quick, I'm going to go into the advanced things. Um, so that that everything I just talked about, it's required for a secure operating environment if you're if you're it, it, in any organization that has any kind of custom software. If you're not doing all the things I just said, you are not running a, a secure business application. The next three things are optional, and it would be for organizations that deal with regulated data, or they have some kind of impact on human safety, or um, maybe they're a large um, they're a large uh, organization, and this this has some kind of critical um, impact on their business. So, the last three things are code level security checks. So this is there's many different ways to do code level security checks, but this is different than what I mentioned earlier. Um, where there's companies that will just look at the modules you've you've imported to make sure that the code you're relying on that's written by other people is secure. This is where you actually go through and make sure the code that you've written looks secure. And there's both um, automate, automated ways of doing that as well as manual methods for, for verifying the security of code. And I think an exact depth there might be something that would require some consultation with someone that specializes in this. Um, but both Sneak and Viracode have modules for doing code level security checks. Um, application penetration testing, I think people think they know what this means. It's exactly what it sounds like. Someone tries to break into your software. Um, something that people may not know is you are probably not accomplishing the goal of this control if you use any kind of automated tool. Um, an application penetration test is performed by a human that's certified and trained to use those tools. So this is not something you can buy SaaS and click a button. 
This is you contract with a person who's gone through a lot of training and knows how to use those tools and maybe is doing some manual things besides to try to break into your application. Um, and they're going to give you a report and they're going to explain their findings and they're going to sit with you and um, make sure you understand how you can solve those things. Um, this is not an automated uh, activity. Um, and then the last thing is threat modeling and there's different ways of doing threat modeling. But um, my favorite way is just to get people together and sit around a table and just discuss what are the various ways that our software could go wrong? How could people break this either on purpose or accidentally? Have we sufficiently managed all these different potential threats? Um, an expert might go into even more depth. Um, and there's there's people that you can um, there's people you can uh, consult with to do a, a deep threat model. Um, certainly, um, if, if anyone's curious about that, send me some kind of direct message. I can I can hook you up with an expert. So that's it for application software security. Super dense. I know we just spent like 15 minutes on that. So I'm yeah. trying to exhale here. I'm dying for uh, a green tea, a little caffeine shot. Give me give me juiced up again. Um, that's that's application software security. It's short. So um, with that, whew, um, I think today's supposed to be about business analysis, right? So um, Daniel, I, be, before I hand you the stage, I just want to I want to tell you the things that I've heard from our partners, right? They um, they're they're oftentimes looking at. So this is something I hear from MSPs that have just sort of got their heads above water, right? They're operating their business. It's it's um, you know they're they're making money or they're breaking even. And they're they're trying to understand how to get those how to get those profitable um, customers or how to seek um, profitable um, revenue streams to power growth in their organization, right? Um, and a little bit later in their career, they start asking themselves, "Okay, um, I don't want to do this until I'm 90, um, but last time I checked." My business wasn't worth that much because my margins are here or whatever, and the multiplier is only only three x, you know. And it, even though they're doing millions of dollars a year in business, when they look at the sale price, um, it could, you know, it barely buys a car. And they're saying to themselves, "I just worked for twenty five years. How come I can't? How come I can't sell this to someone?" Um, so I, they start looking into metrics and measures at that point because they're told, "Hey, the dynamics, you know, your your business isn't built right. The metrics don't look good." Uh, but they don't necessarily know what that even means because they, you know, until you start, until you start thinking about selling your business, you're probably not digging too deeply on that stuff. Um, but pro probably people should be thinking a lot sooner so they can start making the strategic choices they need to to steer in the right direction. So I, I know people ask questions about that all the time um, because I talk to a lot of MSPs and and people have those types of questions. But I, I rarely have the answers other than. Uh, check out service leadership or uh, you should give D Daniel Welling a call. So I think with that, what, what are the questions you hear from people? Because I, you know, you probably get a lot more nuance than I do in the, you know, in that space. Yeah. And, and uh, but before you, uh, you went through the, uh, uh, the, the uh, application uh, uh, security controls, uh, you, you sort of, you, you set the, set the scene by really talking about, uh, beginning with the end in in mind, and uh, and and what a what a successful exit looks like, and and really that that that's where that's where the majority of conversations that I might have at a community event uh, with with, uh, with an MSP owner is uh, you know what 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 what's the M and A market look like at the moment, Daniel, and what are what are people getting, and uh, and often uh, and and probably exactly the same in the in the field of security. Um, naturally, we all want to dilute something down to a pure simple if i just do one thing or two things or three things um uh will i be able to get uh you know a, a, a simple you know a, a a simple answer to a complicated question um but actually um msps are complicated businesses and uh, and they and there are there's very rarely one simple answer one simple number to to uh, to look at and follow and 
every MSP I talk to is always on some kind of curve of, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, SLI and, uh, you know, if we talk about operational maturity, um, you know, just maturity in, in, in the business and in the individuals within the business um, is an important thing to, to think about whenever you're trying to identify um, a, a target or a number to measure or, uh, or, or whatever, whatever the, the, the frame of reference is. Um, and uh, uh, and we, we actually, um, uh, uh, the last couple of years, uh, um, uh, Adam and I have been building a financial maturity model um, uh, uh, in, inspired by, by other models that, that are out there, but really sort of pulling together all of our collective, well, you know, what does good look like in all the different aspects of financial management? And, um, uh, and, and probably the, 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 the key thing at the beginning of the business is you, you're, you're, you're very much um, thinking about cash um, you know, looking at your bank balance all of the time and, me and measuring your your success on, on on that, but but actually cash can be impacted by so many so many things. And the actual measure when we come to uh, uh, and uh, uh, um, correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology for, for the US, but if, when we get to year-end filings um, and, uh, and we're, we're, we're putting together our tax return, um, uh, that's, that number is, is not related directly to, to cash in the bank. Um, it's, a, it's accrual based and, uh, and therefore um, that's, the, that's the first sort of disconnect that most young MSPs have um, is they're not focusing sufficiently on on what their their tax return and, and their their statutory accounts are going to look like um, so actually they're, they're just measuring the wrong thing um, although cash is important to measure you know you've got to be thinking about um, uh, uh, about the, um, uh, the, the the statutory accounts and um, and very often uh, the, the next challenge most young MSPs if they only think about that once a year when they're doing their their, their, their statutory returns um, and actually uh, I don't know what the what the reporting window is in in the US but um, uh, here in the UK we we have to we have to submit you know nine months after the, the end of the the year so uh, actually we're what's um, uh, you know like a, a, a uh, well more than a year looking back at numbers that we were producing so um we, we, we're nowhere near affecting you know reacting to, to information now and affecting that to to affect the next month the next quarter um so uh, uh so it's a sort of realization that actually that there's a lot that we've got to do um uh, to to raise our our, our monitoring uh, uh systems and our analysis and then and then taking action so i i um i know in my reading in this in the msp field here um uh operational maturity levels omls from service leadership are oftentimes used I, which I, which i guess is a it's a customized um chart of accounts and a way of measuring that specifically for msps and they look um, very deeply both at the practices on the sales side and the practices on the service delivery side, but very specifically at the mix of products and services and how much of that is recurring. And I yep. presume that um, the mix of recurring to non-recurring services is, is an important measure. Um, I also know that, um, you know, as you're saying, the, uh, the impact of those accounts at the end of the year, you know, the, the way... The measure I'm I'm taught to look at is usually EBIT, um, or sometimes EBITDA. Right, we're looking at what are your earnings, you know, before before taxes, and um, and how do you even calculate those those margins? And and some MSPs may not be factoring in the in their you know as an MSP leader as a principal, they oftentimes don't factor in their own labor, um, and and if you do fairly account for your own labor. Um, sometimes MSPs that are, you know, they've got cash at the end of the year, but they may have negative gross margins because they're undervaluing their own labor. Um, and, and, and while it's perfectly fine to, to, um, you know, to pay yourself a little bit, if you're trying to put some, set some money aside and reinvest in your business, when you go to sell your business, um, people are going to take a closer measure of, 
you know, how much you're paying yourself. And if, if you're, if you're only paying yourself $50,000, but you're running a business and it's got eight people, um, you know, the, the buyer is going to look at that and say, well, we can't replace you for $50,000 a year. Um, so, um, you know, the, those EBIT numbers can sometimes be deceiving, I think. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Without doubt. And, um, uh, and, and actually this comes, uh, again, uh, I know that we, we, we were talking about K, KPIs um, uh, 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 and, you know, when, when, if we're going to look purely at KPIs, we, we really want to be looking at numbers that, that are going to uh, lead into a result. Um, uh, but actually, uh, uh, and until you've actually got the systems in place to, to measure where you are now and properly interpret it, you, um, some of the some of the, the the sexier KPIs are actually hard to hard to implement. And and you mentioned about SLI and the, the, the chart of accounts. There's there's a lot there, and it can be daunting for um, for, for 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 business owners to um, uh, to to understand and fully implement it, uh, akin to. Uh, your your CIS <laughs> controls, you know, where where do you start? Blimey, I'm never going to get never going to get a handle on all of that. So um, uh, you you actually summarise it uh, uh, very well. Um, uh, if if you're working towards um, value in your business live, um, and that's something that I I recommend all MSPs do. Don't wait until the future at some point when someone <laughs> someone gives you a valuation. Apply. Uh, valuation techniques today to your business so that um, so that you can actually see your live valuation hopefully tra- uh, ticking up uh, over the months and uh, one of the key behaviors again not directly related to KPIs that I uh, advocate um, is uh, is budgeting and business planning um, and uh, and a lot of people immediately start going to sleep when I talk about uh, budgeting um, and uh, and it can be a pretty dry topic but I actually think it's really interesting because it's the modeling activity that you're doing um, uh, that that makes you uh, uh, formulate and uh, and agree to realistic expectations for your business so um, if we if we want to go like that um, and we want to have a uh, you know a big exit number we're going to have to work really hard it's going to be unpleasant we're going to have to take lots of risk um and actually a, a lot of msp owners aren't that sort of hard nose sort of business person they're uh, they're they're much they're much steadier in their approach to life and their appetite for risk um and uh, and so but but going slow and steady is, is not a bad thing. It will just take you longer potentially to get to that end number. The rate of ascent might be might be shallower. So uh, building a budget and playing around with um, uh, with with how the, the rate of growth of the business is is a really important pre precursor to setting a KPI. And in fact, gives you gives you the, the KPI, because if you want to be at this number, then you want to look at this number here to see that you're on on target for it. Well, I think for some people, budgeting is a stressful experience. And, and because, well, and I, I might have used this, I either used this example recently in a customer conversation or on our last webinar. But budgeting is almost, if you haven't been doing it, it's almost like standing on the scale again when you haven't done it in a long time. You yeah. know, it, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you're not sure what you're going to see. You're afraid of what the cash flow looks like. You're afraid of where the money is going. So some people avoid to do that. But what budgeting really is, is it's asset allocation or, you know, you're, you're deciding what you want to do this year or however long you're budgeting for. What do I want to accomplish? So if you're not excited about that as a business owner, you should try to find a way to get excited about it because you're, you know, you're deciding what the, what the future uh, of your business is going to look like when you're doing that. Um, we, we focus a lot about a, lo- a lot on helping our, our partners drive that recurring revenue. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the, the recommendations that you have for, um, for driving, you know, towards, uh, towards recurring revenue and, and value in a business? Could, could we back up a little bit? Oh, so yeah, I, I did yeah. mention that the mix of recurring and non-recurring revenue being important, but I'm, I, I'll bet most of the people watching don't realize how important that is. I, I think last time I looked at a report on this, I was seeing EBIT multipliers for, for businesses with heavy recurring revenue mixes 
almost double that of uh, businesses that focus on non-recurring revenue streams in their MSP. Why um, is so that? It, it, I, it could be the difference between a 3x and a 6x multiplier. And I actually don't know the reason why, Daniel. And I'm curious if that's, if, is that really what's still happening right now in exits? Is that, we're still seeing that trending? Yeah, you, you're, um, uh, 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 remind me to come back to a point about you can get away with it um, about budgeting. I'll come back to that though. Sure, um, I'll hold in, that in, for you. In, in the same in the same way as you can uh, you can not not have a security breach and you got away with it not because not because you didn't get a breach but uh, locked uh, a little lady lock yeah, on yourself. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean the the multiplier effect um, uh, pri primarily is is uh, is about scale. Um, but you're quite right. It is also about um, a, a recurring percentage. So um, the, the uh, and the reason for that, if you're a buyer, um, you're you're handing over money. Um, your first question is, when am I going to get this money back? Um, and if question. and if it is recurring revenue, and it is contracted. Uh, um, and those contracts are with solid assets, i.e., uh, uh, businesses that that, that okay. are financially strong and unlikely to not be financially strong and uh, and and likely to to not default on the contract. Well, that's basically uh, you're, you're buying that future revenue. Um, and one of the uh, one of the things that uh, again often comes up in uh, in the MSP community discussion is a, is about the uh, the concerns about uh, vendors wanting to promote free uh, year terms um, and and watermarks in terms of the the level of commit and that that is because that's the basis of their business value not just for a, an MSP for any business um, and uh, and so. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, if you are if you're driving towards exit um, and and you want to maximize that number, um, uh, the bigger your numbers are and the higher the percentage of recurring will get you up into those into those higher multiples. Um, however, it comes at a cost because you have to ask your customer for a commit for a free year term. And uh, uh, and, and if and if you're your selling point is we don't tie our customers in because we're confident of our service level, um, then, uh, you know, it's a it's a good thing to say. And I'm not saying that, that it's not a not a valuable attribute in the sales process, but it's not going to help you with your valuation. So, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to decide where you are on that. I want aggressive fast growth um, and I'm driving for exit or actually I'm looking for um, a, a more comfortable consistent way of living living my life now now as a SaaS company if we have um a churn number that's at a predictable you know we have we can mathematically prove our where our churn range is right mm -hmm. the 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 amount of time that customers are contracted is less less relevant um clearly we get to claim that uh, that that um that revenue that future revenue on an accrual um, accounting model sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think, you know, if we have a customer count and we know what the churn is and all the customers look the same, um, we can also value that asset in much the same way. Is that, is that true with an MSP? If they're, if they're really good about standardizing their offering and all mm -hmm. of their customers really do look like each other and they're really delivering the same exact service and the, the service fees are fixed backed by an SLA, um, can they do the same thing? Uh, it, it's 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 a factor. Um, I think uh, probably the perception out out there amongst MSP owners is it's 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 what the weight of that factor it, um, outweighs other things. Um, and I and I would say you know I'm I'm less uh, less knowledgeable of uh, of SaaS businesses, um, but um, uh, a lot of MSPs tend to have pretty sticky customer relationships that do last a long time. Um, uh, but, uh, and so they could therefore say, well, there's a low churn rate, um, therefore be confident that you're, you're going to get your money back, Daniel, if you buy my business. Well, 
I would argue the reason for that stickiness and that low churn rate is you as the owner, because in, in a lot of cases, the, the SME, MSP business, the sort of sub, uh, say, uh, 10, 15 million dollar uh, uh, business, um, a lot of the customers buy from the owner. They uh, that's 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 what they buy, um, and uh, and and they're typically SME customers as well. So you know they buy a, a small business likes to buy from another small business. They like to know that the the owner of the business is available to them, um, and uh, and they and they buy that 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 that. Uh, that that people buy from people the old cliche so um communities I, and trust. Uh, yeah I, I would i would argue that that the churn rate is probably less less um uh less applicable to the msp msp market so what, what and it depends on the service provider and the part of the market they're in but yeah, you know, one true. of the things we do in our success process is we try to drive people towards those those um recurring services, but the biggest leap is not get your customer to sign a 12, 12, 36 month contract. The biggest leap is typically taking reactive customer relationship management that you're right. It's, it's, it's relationship based. You have this relationship with the customer. There's this constant flow of communication around what they need and then customizing delivery on a per hour basis, per machine basis, what that a lot of requires. The, to get and it's it right. very relationship oriented, but it is still possible to have that two-way communication. If you move to a service level agreement, you define, you define what you're delivering, you make the bundle static, you can still include the relationship, but you don't need to custom tailor your solution if you are delivering the right solution and you're opinionated with the customer about telling them what they should be receiving. So we particularly in the, in the MSPs that are serving um, small businesses um, because they're more alike um, than, than medium-sized businesses. Um, we recommend that the, the MSP is opinionated on what they're delivering, that they draw a box around it, create that bundle, and the bundle isn't just the pieces of software that you're reselling and the laptops that you're delivering. Uh... It's, it's, it's also... The, the services that go with that, we're going to manage your users. We're going to respond on a ticket within n number of hours where these are the things we will always do for you. They're included always. These are the things we will never do for you because it's not our job, right? Drawing that box around it and trying to make that box the right shape so that you're not customizing that end delivery. Because when you can bundle in that way, um, you can move that customer. They will be happy to move into that recurring revenue scenario. It, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it, it's also the it's also the um, the Ford model, right? The assembly line model. If you know what you're going to be delivering, um, if you know what the end product looks like of your services, it becomes a lot easier to a train your people on delivery. Um, you know, if you're talking about a customer success team or a sales team, training on delivery, training on value proposition. Um, and then the actual delivery itself is a whole lot easier and more, more consistent. And then you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So then you get even better at it. And that's how you create a process and a system and an organization that has repeated success, similar to comparing it to a, a sports team that does all of the right behaviors over and over and over again and is consistently at the top. Um, MSPs are the same way businesses are the same way you have to do all the right behaviors and have processes yeah and I, I I guess I was focused I was very focused on well the customers like this because they like consistency but you're right because if you're also consistent and you're doing the same thing all the time you're going to get efficient at it right and that's yeah. how you're going to build up those gross margins so you know you can impact both things by standardizing your processes around standard bundles standard service deliveries always do the same thing with all the customers um, do the right thing for all the customers um, and, you know, and boost your efficiency and, and your margins, right? Um, but the, I think part of that is also knowing what, what business not to take, because if you say yes to all of your customers all the time, um, you will find yourselves doing a lot of things that are unprofitable and a lot of things that pull you away from that goal of getting towards that recurring revenue and that high efficiency. So, so Daniel, I mean, do you give people advice on how they should sell and how they should market? Because I know a lot of, when I talk to a lot of MSPs, they say, well, I don't like any of my customers right now. 
But this is what we're trying <laughs> I to do. fire them all. Yeah. And I say, and I say, well, why are you working with them if you don't like them? You know, and I, I, this is this is not a very common story, but I have heard that. I have heard that of yeah. I don't like any of my customers right now. Um, we have this one customer we like, and but we're just keeping them because we can't get rid of them. And but this is what we want to do in the future. But then they're they're trapped. They can't actually do the thing they want to do because they're trapped with the customers that they don't want. And is that is that a scenario that you you've heard before, Daniel? <laughs> all, 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 all the time. And again, let, let's not forget that everyone's on this. Uh, they're all on this this arc, this curve, their journey. So um, you know, they 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 won customers five years ago with a particular mindset and and approach, and and then perhaps they've developed that over over the years. They've become more educated and aware of of what others what others do and and they've they've moved on but they've perhaps not not managed their customers uh, uh along along with them um uh th there's a there's a balance thing here in it in everything that you that you, you've both just been talking about actually in terms of how how rigid you are um uh, what what size and shape the boxes you you draw around your service because if you um if you make it too too defined you're gonna you're gonna uh, shrink your uh, uh, your marketplace. Um, if you make it too broad, you you can address a wider market, but therefore um, you're probably having to deal with uh, with a lot more uh, variation than it, than is um, appropriate to, to 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 get efficient. So it's all about balance. Um, and uh, um, the the old sort of generic adage would be well. Uh, you know, if you charge, if you doubled your price, you'd probably lose half your customers, but you'd be doing this, you know, less work and getting more money for it. Why don't you do that? Um, and uh, but th this this is, uh, you know, you can't you can't. You know, this is like giving a a, um, a a child a dangerous weapon. Um, uh, you, you have to remember that uh, for a lot of MSPs, this is their living um, and, uh, and and they are not aggressive hard-nosed business people um uh, they're, they're making a living they need to develop the confidence um uh, in themselves in their business um in their customers um and they need to they need to earn a earn a living while they're doing that so uh, yeah if you go and fire all your customers you have all the time in the world but you have no income <laughs> um and uh, and equally you don't want to you don't want to work full time for your customers and, uh, and and never never improve your business so that the the un the uncomfortable truth about msp land is and we mentioned earlier there there's a million things that you need to you need to work on in your business but um you're only going to do it a bit at a time so um uh, uh you know one, one of the tactics that that i uh would recommend if uh, if an msp believes that they're underpricing um uh and but they're not ready to go to all their customers and say hey we're, we're increasing your price by a significant uh, margin then uh experiment with new customers uh, edging the price up each customer you win, even if it's a, a dollar at a time, um, uh, and build that confidence confidence up gradually. Um, and then, uh, when you've when you've really satisfied, you can go back and then and then gradually move all of your existing customers up. And yeah, you'll lose some, but so you're doing it in a controlled, managed way rather than a a blunt instrument. Um, uh, and 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 that's that's the reality of of small business, uh, uh, I believe. I really like the way that you said uh, grow confidence um, and, and because it's that's really the truth of the situation, right? Everybody's got a value. Some people are better at, at selling their value. So when you're saying building confidence, what you're really saying, I mean, and you're directly saying it, but, but it may not be clear. You're really saying go out there and get confidence that you can ask for what you're worth and get closer and closer to what you think you're worth until you're there. So when you say, well, this is my, my price for this package, you know, well, I got a bunch of people that are willing to pay it and I do a great job. So this person can either, you know, expletive off or, or come on board, but I know my value and I'm going to stand by my value. And I think that's hard for some people to do. And I think it's especially hard for people to do if they, didn't land into MSP land as a business person um, 
which is a lot of a lot of them you know mm -hmm. quite so quite I, right and um uh uh we, we um just to that to that point i noticed there was a, there was a a a a comment in the in the chat about um you know whether whether people can change from uh you know they can change from being tech to to to, to business um and and absolutely they can um uh, but uh it's not going to be overnight and it's uh, and it's not it's not going to be it's not going to be easy um uh, uh and and you need support and you need um uh, you need someone to um to 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 go along on the journey with and 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 that's where uh, um you know peer groups are, are great um uh, uh, there's more and more coaches and mentors in the in the marketplace um and uh, and so there's lots of sources of help to to uh, first of all educate soak it up and then and then build a plan you know bit by bit but um but yeah gra gradually you won't you won't immediately go from uh from uh, tech that doesn't doesn't even like to send an invoice <laughs> to uh to hard-nosed captain of industry <laughs> Well, and you may not seen, want to. Sorry. You may not want to. Yeah. Yeah. We talk to a lot of MSPs and we see techies that grow up and learn the business of professional services. But we also see people that went to business school or they've been they were in sales and they decided to start their own engineering, te you know, technology business. And those journeys have to go both directions, right? Mm -hmm. Um and I, I think as as a as a business principal in in an MS, you know, in, in professional services business, you your understanding needs to be solid on both sides um and you need to surround yourself with the right team because no one can be good at everything right um and and, and that's critical right because you're not really going to become an expert in everything yeah i want to grab that i want to grab it hard and run and talk about it um so my my career prior um to moving into the tech industry um I was a part of a, a business that believed to be a good leader, you had to understand how to execute at the ground level. Um, so I, I went all the way up um, in operations, doing operations, um, you know, in the restaurant industry, which is tough. I can, I can make food um, and I can teach people to make food because I know how to make food, um, which allowed me to be a really good leader when as a, as a, high level executive going into restaurants and being able to teach somebody by showing them gets you that buy-in. So if you're a business person that's looking to get buy-in from your, your tech team, maybe you need to learn a little bit of the tech so you can speak their language. And if you're a tech person that's trying to get buy-in uh, from, from your sales team or your business guys, you know, it's a great point that Matt made. You got to you got to cross paths. You got to learn to speak each other's language. And if you do, you're going to have great community and great success. Yeah, a hundred percent. So so my, my journey, um, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm a salesperson by trade, um, uh, have been in the IT industry since the sort of mid, mid 90s. Um, and late 90s i i was selling solutions you know that the first the first uh, sme networks um and uh, i had to become technically aware um in order to understand it to translate it to my uh, non-technical uh customer and uh, and and that that was uh, uh that was the exactly as matt said you know uh, um, coming the other way so uh uh, so yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And 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 again, going back to that balance word, you, you've got to be you've got to be right. There's so many things you've got to be uh, got to be proficient at um, in in order to 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 be successful. Um, so uh, so yeah, and and that yeah, we're all we're all growing and learning all the time. So all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, so you mentioned early on um, that you've got somewhat of a framework and i would like you to touch on that before we we run out of time but uh, you mm -hmm. know i've been running across you know I, i'm in the SaaS industry and i i was in the msp industry but now i'm in SaaS, and we've got our own metrics and measures which are not the same thing that an msp would be using um but i i've been hearing a lot about um, eos enterprise operating system mm -hmm. um and i i don't have an opinion on it um but i i'm curious you know where, you know, when people decide that they want to get serious about measuring their business and being strategic, what, what are the first couple of steps that they need to be taking? And, and what are the few steps after that? They, should they be picking up books? Should they be making phone calls? 
well, certainly uh, uh, everyone should be educating themselves and soaking up information. Um, not not everyone is a is a is a bookworm and enjoys reading. Sometimes some people like uh, audio books. Uh, some I just like, found audio books. Yeah, 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 it trans transforms your world, doesn't it? When, uh, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, EOS and in in particular the the, the traction book um, has has really sort of sort of cut through the MSP community because um, it, it it just ma it just makes a lot of sense. Um, again, it it makes a quite a complicated topic really really easy to sort of munch your way through and to um, you know it's it's not scary. Um, but again, like all of these uh, learnings uh, inspirations, um, you've got to take it and. And apply it to yourself. So you know, e even if you're not 100% following the, the EOS um, uh, uh, methodology, uh, uh, there'll be bits that you take from it that will that will improve your business. E even um, you know, even even just even just the crumbs off the off the off the table. Um, but I think fundamentally, um, uh, 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 yeah, if you're going to dial it dial it down to what should an MSP be doing, uh, they've got to get a handle on their numbers. Um, uh, and, and that's that's the bit that going back to that point I wanted to come back to. Um, you can get away with not being on top of your numbers for, for quite a while. Um, half a million, a million of, uh, of, uh, of, of revenue. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and if you if you if you um, if you let it get away from you, it can be really difficult. There's a huge overhead in security. There's a huge overhead in financial management, um, and you've got to have discipline in in both. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you've got to got to obsess about your, about your numbers and and know exactly what margin you're making, because almost anything that you're going to do is going to require some level of investment, and you need to know is it affordable? Can you do it for long enough? Um, and uh, and 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 I guess uh, yeah, we're really tight on time now. But what one of the one of the things that growing MSPs need to do is they need to to uh, to, to sell more uh, to sell more to existing customers and 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 gain new customers, and and all of that uh, requires investment and and a and a long a long commit. Um, so uh, uh, you've you've got to know that you've got the the funding to do that, and if not, be working towards. You know uh, that the, the next bit. I can afford the marketing. I can afford the salesperson. I can afford to delegate my role so that I can do sales because I'm going to be the best salesperson for the for the business and so on. You know that that sort of uh, 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 that, that sort of approach. So we'll we'll make sure that those um, those books, traction, and e, the EOS guide make it into the show notes here. But but Daniel, um, I guess so. Give us the pitch here. Give us the plug. What you're <laughs> You're you're clearly you're focused on this problem space. What are you bringing into MSPs, and what does your what does your organization do? Uh, so the MSP finance team, uh, we're we're two two years old. Uh, uh, myself and my co-founder Adam are both former MSP owners. Um, uh, 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 we both uh, exited in trade sales. Um, we both remain infused and interested in the in the in the community um, and, uh, and and we both we both approach things from a from a from a financial perspective um, so uh, again um, you know I've educated myself uh, I, I I didn't know what a p l on a balance sheet looked like when I was a salesperson um, and, uh, uh, and 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 I only I only started doing management accounts in in my business because i had to because uh we had some borrowing uh uh for growth and uh, we had to we had to uh, uh support that with um uh, with management accounts and that reality is repeat you know carries on repeating uh today and uh, and so yeah uh, we were on a mission to, to raise the financial literacy of uh, of msps um uh ultimately we want to make them uh, uh, happier and and wealthier Good mission. I think a lot of people on the call today can sign off on that. Matt, do you want to do ours? <laughs> so uh, we're, we're also very focused on uh, our, our partner community succeeding. Um, Fort Mesa helps uh, MSPs and other IT outsourcers own their clients' cybersecurity roadmap. It helps them capture their customers' cybersecurity investments uh, because customers are, are your clients are looking for cyber insurance. Um, they're trying to pass audits. Um, they're trying to satisfy regulations, and they are going to spend money on that. Um, and you should be the one to make it 
Um, so that's that's us, and uh, hopefully I'll be talking to some of you. Um, Zach, you got a, any last words? Uh, not, not for me. I, I think that's gonna I think that's gonna close it out for us. Thank you to our virtual guests for joining us. This is gonna conclude another Friday at the Fort Mesa Roundtable. Be sure to like us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our YouTube for more educational content. Thank you so much for Daniel Welling for uh, from the excuse me from the MSP Finance team for joining us for an awesome conversation uh, about key performance indicators in growing an MSP. And be sure to join us next week where we're going to have Luke Connolly and Brett Callow from MC Sauce. MC Soft to join us to have a conversation about the aftermath of the Move It vulnerability. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some malware related things as well next week. So be sure to join us. Thanks for coming. Thanks again to Daniel and um, have a good weekend, guys. Bye.